<laughs> what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. But as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right, so, we're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I gonna get sued? We got legal on this. I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube. It's our Wednesday midweek show. Got a great show lined up, Sam. Going to review a little Monday Night Football, talk about Russ and what's happening with the Broncos. So we'll review a little Broncos Chargers. we got Nick Underhill from New Orleans Football here to preview Thursday Night Football, Saints and Cardinals, and plus your emails and interaction and all that fun stuff. All right, let's go. You excited? Yeah. Fired up? Mm -hmm. Ready to go? Anything you want to say at the top here what do you no, got? well uh nick underhill he's our our saints correspondent i guess for this game yeah. we, we had somebody barrett warnock sent us in an email basically with a long list of suggestions for people to barnett i believe barnett unless you, unless you typed it wrong no you're right yeah. barnett warnock uh long list of people to to try and get as a guest for the thursday night game this week for the saints um we ignored them all well, no, that's not strictly true. We tried to get one of the names on the list yeah got nothing and i also yelled out hey let's get sean payton in general. Yeah, that was the name on the list yeah. that we that we tried and didn't get. Yeah, Sean's too cool. Yeah, so we got Nick Underhill instead. But we appreciated that list. That was a very helpful thing. If anyone is out there, upcoming team on Thursday Night Football, email us in suggestions of people we can get on to talk about your team. So NFL podcast at PFF.com. Those are helpful, even if we ignore them. Well, I mean, I've said this to you off air. I'm just going to say it out right now. I want for next week for Ravens, Bucks, I want Jimmy Seafood. I want to be powered by Jimmy Seafood here. I don't understand. Baltimore you, legends. How? What? What is the, you want just like a talking lobster? Like what is the, I don't understand. No, I just want, I just want all the sea. I want to eat the seafood. But who's the guest? Oh, I don't know. Okay. I just want Jimmy's to, uh, to sponsor next Wednesday's podcast. Right. And to uh, supply some crab cakes. Yeah. And the other fun stuff that they sent us before. I mean, I would like. And we'll promote them and say, hey, Jimmy Seafood, great place to go when you're in Baltimore. Sure, but we need we need to talk to somebody. Oh yeah, we'll figure out the guest thing works. later. Okay, but uh, Tom Brady could be a good one for the Bucks. Yes, Lamar. Uh-huh. Start with those two. We still have Tom Brady's cell phone number from that weird ad that he did. Right? Oh yeah, I'll just text him. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he picks. I'm that sure always, he picks right up for that. It always thing. works. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Anyway, Jimmy's. Let's start with Jimmy's. It's good stuff. More about the food to to uh, to kick things off here. All right, let's get into Monday Night Football. Chargers 19, Broncos 16. Yay. Another exciting Broncos primetime matchup. Broncos move to 2-4 uh, and four here. Chargers to, they 4-2? and two? Is that right? Are they 4-2? and two? I think they're 4-2. Is that possible? Yeah. They are. I know it felt bad. Yeah. Because they lost back-to-back games. It felt bad. You got smoked by the Chargers, but they, I mean, uh, by the Jaguars, but they did move to 4-2. and two. You have the same record as the Chiefs. That's right. Doesn't feel that way. Doesn't feel like that at all. Um, this particular game, what a what an absolute mess. I mean, if so, Russell Wilson finishes the game just statistically, fifteen of twenty eight for one hundred eighty eight yards and a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Completed his first ten passes. Yeah, Sam. End of the means, first quarter, we're like, ah, oh, Russ is fixed. This is the best he's looked all year. And then by the end of the game, it's like, no, not no, no. Which means his next eighteen passes, he went five of eighteen. So um, that's that's one. The other part of this was J.C. Jackson, the big high-profiled free agent, 
who I thought might be a good fit for the Chargers, has not been a good fit for the Chargers whatsoever. No. And a good fit in the sense that the guy turns the ball over, right? The guy has always been at the heart of so many interceptions. Tough to, you know, maintain. But he had two bad coverage busts in this game, gets benched. And I tweeted this the other night. If you took those out, man, if you just took out the two coverage busts where J.C. Jackson just didn't really screw up, the Broncos averaged 2.4 yards per drop back. yards per drop back offensively. It's a mess in Denver right now. Yeah, it really is. And we talked on the daily, uh, today's daily, right, was about, is Russ cooked? Is he he just done? Is this what we're watching here? Um, And we talked that a lot, and the kind of conclusion is yes. It's not not as simple as just, well, Russ is, he's over the hill, he's done. But the confluence of all the things, I think, that are causing this might mean it's practically the same thing. Um, it, he's not he's not the same player that he used to be athletically, you know, I, I think. Which, by the way, if I was spending a million dollars a year on, like, body recovery the way he's apparently been doing for his entire career, I'd feel pretty freaking cheated that at the age of 33... You'd want to maintain that. The body's starting yeah. to break down. And over there, Tom Brady at 45 has got a better arm than he's ever had. And, okay, he didn't have any athleticism to start with, but he hasn't lost any of it. Like, I'd be looking at that and going, what the hell? Yeah. And actually, I'd be firing everybody that works for me and signing up to the TV, buying the TV 12 method for whatever it is, 1999 on Amazon. Like, what is this crap? Then we have uh, Russ and his people directly texting Ian Rappaport, who copied and pasted. That's that's After the MRI. slander. You don't know that that happened. <laughs> oh, that's true. That is slander. Um, I, Based off other evidence that has been presented to me in the past, I have suspicion that Rap Sheet will generally take the thing that is sent to him through an agent is there a or way management I, group. Am I going to get sued? Can I get, like, distanced? You know, can we create some sort of legal divide between, like, down the middle of the table so that every time he infers somebody's a murderer or slanders, you know, a fine, upstanding journalist, that it's him that gets sued, not me or the podcast? You're usually the bitter crotchety one, and you're trying to distance yeah, but I'm very good yourself. at keeping it legally on the up and up. Like, right. I'm, I'm not going to put anything out there that gets me sued. All right, we'll just, we'll just cut that part out, too, just like the... The thing on Monday. That's that how said. it works live, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even hear what... Uh, no, forget it. What did the what was the thing that the other guy said that he got in trouble for? Who? What? Our guy in the, the text message chain from yesterday. Oh, he said... <laughs> he... No. Like, is can't. it bad? Is it like we can't repeat that? I mean, you could repeat it. It just made... It's bad. Oh, I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. No, no, so no it was hit, pretty bad. So Chris and I have had a rough week here. Yeah. With things we've said. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. Didn't know. Um, yeah. I'll let the people decide. Ian Rappaport at Rap Sheet. After the MRI, Russell Wilson is considered day-to-day, source said. It's a real injury, and he's in real pain. But he's pushing to play. The Broncos will continue to evaluate his progress on a short week. Who's the source? I don't know. Who sent that? I don't know. Russ himself? Look, I'm battling through. I'm not going to... All I'm saying is... I don't I, know. There have been previous messages out there, per sources, that are like... Like, remember in Derek Carr... It was like, nobody, nobody took this loss harder than Derek Carr. Mm. He's playing injured, but you know what? He'll be back out there for his source, teammates. Derek Carr. Per source. Yeah. So this sounds like, who's, who's asking if it's a real injury or if it's in real pain? I don't think anybody was asking. I just think that if you're going to try and get ahead of this, you know, and you have to put it out there that, hey, it's going bad, but there's a reason for it. 
you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta sow the seeds. And you can't just come out and say it, right? We were ridiculing DJ Moore and the Panthers because, you know, the the PR guy for the Panthers was like, no, look, when he couldn't, when he, he when he was struggling to articulate his own quarterback's name, it wasn't that he didn't know it. It was he just forgot how to pronounce it for a minute. You know, that looks silly. So you have to like send it out to a journalist. Well done. Who'll do it for you? Uh, you see, was it? Michael Michael Robinson, right? Yeah. The former fullback? Yep, but he's Mike Rob. That's what's confusing me. Did you see his little take, former teammate here? Mutiny? Well, his was, I think the part that I caught was more about him being like, come on, Russ, like, don't don't be a robot. Like, don't just go back to the podium and say, we've got to execute better. Just got to execute better. Yeah. Let's ride. That's right. <laughs> like, at some point, show oh, some emotion. God. Yeah. And um, so, I think what is happening. Teammates, but like, teammates, former teammates are all turning on Russell Wilson left yeah. and right. I mean, look. And the and journalists that we have on here. from And journalists. If all the stuff that's come out recently about him as a sort of, as a brand, you know, as opposed to a person, as a guy who has his own office in the building and has an entourage and all this kind of crap, right? Who knows if any of this is truly accurate or not. But if that's what we're dealing with here, that's not the kind of guy you rally behind, you know? When things are going south, it's not, like, when... When we had on Mike Cliss and he was talking about how John Elway was one of the guys, which made sense. I mean, he was, but Peyton Manning was able to do that. Like Peyton Manning is a funny guy who's relatable, even if he's 15 years older than you and comes from a completely different background. And like, there's a lot of ways you would be completely unable to relate to Peyton Manning, but he's like, you know, he's, he's a relatable guy. He's funny. He's likable. He would be one of the guys. He's not going to lock himself away in his own office and start scheming. Like, how can I make the next million today? Like, if that's what Russ is doing whilst this is all going to hell in a handcart, nobody's going to want to fight for that guy. That's not how, that's not how teams work. You don't, you don't, nobody rallies around that guy, which is what needs to happen right now. But to kind of pull it back to what's actually going wrong and why the Russ thing is a disaster right now, I honestly think we are, we talked about this in the offseason, right? It was so easy for everyone to jump on the narrative of Pete Carroll is a dinosaur and an idiot. He's the guy holding Russell Wilson back. Let Russ cook. All this kind of stuff. But Pete probably had a better understanding of what was going on than the people from the outside did, which is in order for Russell Wilson to play at the kind of level he was playing at, he had to play in a completely different style to other quarterbacks. Because he's five foot eleven, he's not six foot six. A giant dude who can just scan the pocket all day. He's got to play the way he plays. But in order to do that, you have to change the offense so that that functions. You have to lean into the stuff that he does well. You have to take some of the stuff that he doesn't do well off the table. You don't target the middle of the field as much as other quarterbacks, all these kinds of things. So number one, he's in an offense that doesn't operate like that. And they're trying to join those two things together. And right now it's not happening. Number two, he's not capable of doing those things anymore. Like we just talked about how he doesn't look the same physically. That's important because half of his game was running around endlessly evading people and then making a play. If you can't run around and evade people anymore, now you're just getting wrecked. And number three, all this swish or switch for defenses to two high coverages to you know split safety looks, it's to take away the deep shot. That was the thing that Russell Wilson built his offense on was I'll run around and then I'll drop a bomb to DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett and that offsets the last three plays that didn't go anywhere. Now, those aren't on the table. Is that where the analytics people who are shouting, just let Russ, like, 
Russ is really efficient throwing the ball historically, therefore let him do it more often. Yeah. Are they is that where they're missing the point just a little bit? Was Russ really in Seattle set up for success? Because they didn't throw a ton. And when they did, it was a lot of play action and over routes and post routes and you know the, the throws that they're high value throws that he's really good at and it's a good thing to be good at by the way this isn't like of course like if, if you could throw the ball accurately 40 yards down the field like that's that's good that's being a talented quarterback but my point is are those numbers are those are those throws not inflating his numbers but saying like look the efficiency is there because he makes these high value throws a lot therefore you know throw the ball more often when if you did that and if you did run more quick game and short stuff and all that the efficiency goes way down because it's not his strength it's not his game um all that said first half of 2020 is is the part is the part of the uh, russ's career that looks really weird right now because that was when he had a 95 pff grade through eight through eight weeks was on pace for 70 passing touchdowns and they were letting him cook right they were actually throwing the ball in early downs and it wasn't just letting him cook. It was like they were running screen game. They were, they, were, they were scheming up really good pass plays on early downs, which they had not done throughout the Russell Wilson era. And then something switched. Buffalo game, he was like dropping snaps, throwing the ball into coverage. The three Rams games happened. And since that point, I mentioned on the Daily today, he's QB 23 yeah, in passing rates since we, middle of 2020. We made the same point with the Daily, but think of those teams, you know? The Rams, they were running that Brandon Staley defense back yeah. then. The Bills have been running a split safety defense. They just since. copycatted. So the like, rest of the league just the, caught up to that. Yeah, the teams that he was having a nightmare against back then were the teams that that set the blueprint for the current state of defense in today's NFL. So the landscape has changed. This idea of let's just lean into what he does well, which is drop deep bombs down the field. You can't do that anymore because everybody's taking them away. So now you just have a guy desperately struggling and the offense is in theory asking him to do all the other things which he's never been good at or able to do because he isn't six foot six so you just everything's floundering and i the the really bad news for denver i messaged uh brad spielberger you know our salary cap guru and you know part of the r d team here uh what was my message to him initially uh what's the first out with russell wilson in denver you know they they redid his contract after they traded for him it's a massive all-in kind of commitment for the Broncos on Russell Wilson. You replied with 2026, and then a laugh. You know, 2026. Yeah, and he's like, 2025 is doable, but it would be miserable. So they're stuck with him, which means, like all this talk, Nathaniel Hackett. I mean, that seat. He's the fall guy here. When this, if this doesn't turn around, right? And right now. He now has one of the hardest jobs in the NFL on his hand, which is to rewrite an offense that isn't functioning, to, to mesh with a quarterback that isn't firing, whose best attribute is being taken away actively by defenses in today's NFL. He needs to figure that out in the next six weeks. Or, they, I mean, they can't get rid of Russ. The GM is just in the building and had a great draft and you know is generally regarded as one of the best in the, the roster. The roster's good, man. That's Right, George Payton. Look, so all of these things are good. That. Yeah. But what I mean is, if you're going to change something fundamental by the end of the year, who's left? Yeah, it's Hackett. So they like, but there's, but that's twofold, right? Um, it's twofold why Nathaniel Hackett might be on the hot seat already. I'll get to that in one second because got to remind you about our friends over at Symbol. You've heard me talk about them before. 
but they are revolutionizing the sports betting market by turning it into the stock market. Symbol was a PFF sponsor last year. They're back for this football season. Symbol lets you trade pro and college teams like stocks and even earn cash dividend payouts when your teams win. Symbol is a peer-to-peer market that took the thrill of sports betting and turned it into the stock market to give fans a new way to speculate on your favorite pro and college teams. So download the Symbol mobile app for iOS by searching S-I-M-B-U-L-L in the App Store. Use the code FOOTBALL to receive a free team stock valued up to $150 upon signing up. Whether you want to invest in an up-and-coming team or the GOAT and Tom Brady, even though they're down to 3-3 three and three right now, or the new top dog, the Buffalo Bills. Symbol allows you to buy and sell team stocks and profit from your sports knowledge. So create a free account, enter code FOOTBALL to get a free stock valued up to $150 and start making money in the stock market for sports. So Nathaniel Hackett, mm. the the two reasons why there are issues there is he's an offensive guy and the offense is bad. Yep. And it's presumably you got a really good quarterback. And then the other one, of course, is the game management stuff that just right from the get-go. And even though that hasn't been as much of an issue since weeks one or two, yeah, but it, it was like an initial like has there since Urban Meyer when they remember Urban Meyer, they gave up they a field goal in the preseason and he was just like <laughs> guys this is it we just gave up a field goal it's the worst thing that's one. ever happened to me like there hasn't been that was like instant man he might not be able to handle this job yeah but Hackett was just behind him with the in-game decision making week one where it's like uh-oh yeah right and haven't had too many of those coaching uh-oh moments that early in people's careers and every time there's an explanation for what happened it sounds worse so, you know, the thing from Monday night was Melvin Gordon found himself sitting on the sideline for basically the entire game. And remember, uh, you go back a few weeks and it's like Melvin Gordon's playing too much. He's splitting the time with Javante Williams. What the hell is this? Everybody loves Javante Williams. Why is Melvin Gordon eating up all these snaps? Then Javante's not there anymore. And all of a sudden it's uh, Mike Boone and who's uh, the guy? Oh, Latavius Murray. Latavius yeah. Murray. So all of a sudden, he's getting no snaps, and those two are eating. Latavius Murray, they just signed, and Mike Boone is a cast-off from the Vikings. Like, now what the hell's happening here? And everyone assumes, well, it's because it's Melvin Gordon's had fumbling issues, you know, and he's being, he's being punished, essentially, by the lack of playing time. And then Hackett comes in, and he's like, no, he wasn't being punished. Well, the, the, why he wasn't was he playing? The, he was getting the early carries, too. Right. And he went like, three well, carries, okay. eight yards. If, if it wasn't a punishment thing for fumbling which you could argue with, but at least makes sense. There are many coaches that do that. You know, Bill Belichick, if a guy fumbles, the dude's lucky to ever see the field again. So that at least you would understand. It's not outside of the, the realms of normality. If you come out and say, no, we just, we just missed it, you know? We just didn't notice that our running back was on it. What? That's, yeah. that's not helpful. So the, the off-season narrative for us, in the Broncos was this roster is good. I mean, they've they've built this roster the last couple of years. And our, our narrative for a couple of years now was yeah. like Drew Locke's not good enough, and, and Teddy Bridgewater wasn't good enough. They got to go find a quarterback because the defense is good. They've really built a nice secondary. They've invested well. The offensive line is solid, and the playmakers are good. Like they've got the pieces in place. They're going to lure in Aaron Rodgers. They're going to get a quarterback. Now all of a sudden, the quarterback plays worse than it was. Well, let's be let's be real here. The quarterback play is worse, certainly yeah. than when Teddy Bridgewater was the I mean, quarterback. It's but no absolute, better, but even worse than when it was Drew Locke. Yeah, it's no center. better than when Drew Locke was the quarterback. Um, and so that's where, when you talk about like the disconnect in the locker room, 
I had questions about this Broncos defense without Vic Fangio, but they've been fantastic this year. Because the other side of it, if the Chargers had lost this game, we'd be like, man, Justin Herbert threw the ball 57 times for 238 yards. Yeah. That's 4.2 yards per attempt. I know PFF grade was better than that and whatever. I'm just saying from a production standpoint, the Chargers passing offense was terrible. This Broncos defense continues to play well, even with injuries. That's where that locker room disconnect, I think, is showing up here. Those The Broncos defense is playing outstanding ball. And if they just had mid-level offensive performance or close to it, they're 4-2. and two. Like, this thing flips. Um, by the way, the Broncos' two wins are fourth-quarter comebacks where they scored 12 points and, like, 13 points or whatever it was. The offense has just been an absolute disaster in Denver. And they're stuck with Russell Wilson, as you said. So, so what do you do with that? Because look, what you can do. We talked about thirty-three-year-olds, right? You know, forties the new thirty-eight, and forty-two is the new forty. Like guys are generally yeah. playing longer, and the the wall that the typical quarterback used to hit seems to be later and later. But Russ has shown signs of his athleticism being down a tick, mm-hmm. and and if he's injury prone now, like last year's injury was a bit of a fluke, right? Mallet finger. But if he's injury prone, is it, a, is it a leg injury right now? Is he a little bit slower? Is it a shoulder? That stuff starts to add up, and we're talking I mean, he's four certainly, years out of yeah, the big contract. Minimum, he's entering the zone now where physical things are a potential concern, whether it's losing a step, whether it's uh, losing durability and becoming more injury prone as you age. Like These are things that happen to people as they progress through their 30s and into their 40s now. Apparently, people like Tom Brady are just immune to that with all the avocados he eats and all that kind of stuff, right? Aaron Rodgers appears to be fairly immune to that. We are starting to see more and more of these quarterbacks that don't appear to be affected by that stuff. But you don't have to go back that long to find a whole bunch where that's exactly what happened to them. And whether or not it's happening to Russ right now, at the very minimum, this is now something sort of hanging over him as the Broncos are tied to him for the next two or three years, you know? And that's why, like, this situation in Denver looks terrifying. Like, they, it's not working. The guy that needs to fix it is maybe the chief source of the problems in Nathaniel Hackett. And they need to get it all fixed in the next few weeks. All right, man. Let's, you know, uh, do you have anything else to add to this? No. I mean, listen to the Daily. We rehashed a lot of it, but today's Daily, we break down Ross, where he's ranked. and Yeah, I mean, the only, like. the only sort of the new piece of information there is that the contract situation and just sort of how screwed Denver is if they got that wrong. Like, yeah. you made the massive investment to trade for him in the first place. That was a risk. You then doubled down on it to extend his contract because, I mean, I would assume that the GM sort of works on the base as well. If we got it wrong, we're all screwed anyway, so what the hell? Like, let's, let's make it better for us long-term financially if and when it works out. But if it didn't work out, you've just made the problem even worse, and now everything is screwed. So... I, 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 I'd be at this point. I'm reaching the stage where I would be surprised if Nathaniel Hackett doesn't, if he makes it to next year. And then the question is going to be, okay, who's the coach that you that you're going right. to? Who can fix this? Yes. Yeah. Who are you going to pair Russell Wilson with? Right. Um, but just want to reiterate, Broncos defense playing great. Patrick Sertan playing corner at an All-Pro level right now. So mm-hmm. they have the pieces to get better in Denver, but something has to happen quickly here. Um, do we even is this an email about uh, the next Geno Smith here? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't, you, why don't we get into this? Because this was Geno Smith tearing it up. He's coming off of a subpar game, but still one of the highest-graded quarterbacks in the NFL, having a great season so far. I'm going to assume that this is another Australian email based off how it begins. It's from a guy called James Sibson. G'day, mates. Well done. Since you guys are talking about how Geno has managed to develop a ton over the course of being a backup for years since the unfortunate start to his career, I was wondering who you think might be candidates for a similar type of career path down the road, as in quarterbacks who are starting or have started recently that could be a backup for a while before earning another starting gig and showing great strides in development. His personal pick is Daniel Jones. Interesting. I mean, does Ryan Tannehill count in that? You don't have, like, the long... I'm just saying looking backwards. Yeah. Like the, the, the sure. guys that we've seen have Maybe. rejuvenated careers. Ryan Tannehill, Geno Smith. Yeah. Would you put... I'm just... I'm going well, we were talking before. The, the Geno one is, is almost... I mean, certainly short... Recent unprecedented. Like you have to go right. back a long way to find a guy that was that sort of buried as a career backup for years. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, actually this guy's amazing. Right. Um, Marcus Mariota's currently an interesting one just because i don't know that he's playing great but i think you're seeing his new team tap into his skill set more yes which the titans maybe didn't do but that's very different again to what's happening with gino which is okay he's in a it's not he just looks right completely he's a different guy daniel jones is an intriguing one daniel jones i like i i said i think last year or at least in the offseason that that strikes me as something that's likely to happen i he's not got enough around him to look great this year they're probably gonna end up moving on because of the situation they'll be in though frankly they're winning a lot of games maybe that changes but he's absolutely the sort of a reclamation project that i'd be very interested in like he's got a lot like gino he's got all the physical tools we've he's got the arm he's got the capacity to push it downfield apparently he's way more athletic than anybody ever gives him credit for as a rushing threat like he can do all of that stuff the stuff where he fails is you know his pocket presence isn't great it's the kind of thing that i think you could learn or develop from the sideline and maybe in you know a few years time daniel jones is a good starting quarterback man it's intriguing right because i do i I repeat this a million times that there are 30 plus 30-ish starting caliber quarterbacks in the nfl but as much as you'd like to have a top 10 quarterback other teams are going to be cycling through that that next bunch. Carson Wentz keeps getting these opportunities and hasn't you know come good on them necessarily yet. So even if the Giants move on from a Daniel Jones, there's going to be some other team in bridge territory where Daniel Jones is an upgrade. Yeah. You know? um, what about Gardner Minshew? Gardner Minshew, like that guy he doesn't have the physical tools right yeah. he doesn't it, it's not like he has this cannon for an arm where it's like man if he just understands the offense a little bit better he'll get there it's kind of the opposite he did well throwing the ball down the field despite not yeah. having a great arm and all that stuff but for me it's tough it's tough to to separate the fact that he had a bad situation in jacksonville and mm-hmm. he had a situation that we make excuses for quarterbacks all the time and he went there and did a really good job with not a great receiving core with not a great offensive line, and he produced. Not enough that you say, okay, he's my guy forever going forward because it feels like it's a limited upside, but I think Gardner Minshew's interesting through that lens. Or you know, maybe Justin Fields. At the end of this there you year go. Could that's, be the guy. that's the one I was about to bring up. The guy that jumps to mind for me, Daniel Jones, I think is a good one, and then Justin Fields because the, right, I tweeted something out that got a lot of Bears fans mad. 
Justin Fields is leading the NFL right now in the percentage of uncatchable throws that he's passed you just, for. All you did was... 29 point something percent, highest in the NFL by a distance. He was there last year too. You just yeah, put yeah. a fact out there. I know. Um, so it's by far the most in the NFL. And then I you know, send a follow-up tweet where it's like, look, nothing Justin Fields does happens in a vacuum. The situation around him stinks. His offensive line's bad. The, the receivers are bad. It's all bad. There's plenty of blame to go around, but he's, he's a force multiplier for the bad right now. We tend to talk about force multipliers for good, guys that make everything around them better. Justin Fields is making the bad things worse because he's got a lousy pocket presence. He holds onto the ball too long. He doesn't you know, do the things that a quarterback does to mitigate those things, and it compounds the problems. So there's plenty of blame to go around, but what it means is Chicago looks like they're inevitably heading for a very high draft pick in a quarterback class that's going to have quite a few top quarterbacks in it. And I don't really see how they can get away with not picking one because they have Justin Fields based off what he's done this year. So I think Fields is, he's being set up to fail. He's failing. And after this year, he's going to be a backup somewhere. Maybe at Chicago, maybe at somewhere else. But that's exactly the kind of, like he's got all the tools got the arm he's got athleticism he's got the ability to make wow plays left right and center and everything about what he's struggling with right now is process driven it's the kind of thing that i think you can develop sitting in a meeting room sitting on the sidelines sitting as the backup you know in practice and over the course of three four five years get better maybe justin fields in 2026 when Denver gets away from just like the Russell Wilson contract, like maybe he winds up getting a gig. Great somewhere. answer. That's it. We got we got Fields to Denver in 2026 to replace Russell Wilson. I mean, it's an interesting one, right? Because we've heard we've heard rumblings from teams um, who are adamant behind closed doors that they want their first round rookies to sit yeah. behind closed doors. They say this publicly. They say it loosely. Like, yeah, we want our guy to sit, um, and then they feel like their hand is forced to put a guy in or whatever it is but like what would that really look like and I know it's not as simple as if you look at three of the four best quarterbacks in the NFL right now Tom Brady Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes they did literally sit at least one year right that's not a b analysis I mean that that's not like hey this is the only way to do it there's examples the other way but this is what I say every year like if you truly believe this quarterback needs time just suck it up and sit him no matter what happens that season I w- I'm just curious what would happen if, if anything would happen differently with a Fields with a Pickett with, with anybody that you feel like they need to sit for the year and just absorb and play like week 18 whatever play one game the reason I think that the Geno thing is so hard to repeat and why we can't really think of another good example of it happening for years is that you can- I don't think anybody plans it this way and the development that we're talking about, I don't think is is particularly evident or obvious in practice or on in the meeting room. Yeah. So you don't know it's there until it happens, right? So Geno Smith essentially was consigned to life as a backup quarterback going forward. After the Jets and the Giants thing crapped out, it's like, well, Geno's just done, but he's a good backup, you know? We'll yeah. play him in preseason and blah, blah, but he's our backup quarterback. Nobody then intends making the backup quarterback the starter. It needs, it necessitates something going wrong for that to happen. And then, oh, oh, ooh, ooh, this isn't what we thought was going to happen. This is better. Like, he's changed. He's a different guy. Look, yeah, he hadn't shown up in the preseason. But remember, yeah, so it hadn't shown, well, this preseason. It this did, preseason, previous right. preseasons. But the point being, 
Like, in order for this to happen, the Seahawks had to trade away Russell Wilson and then essentially punt on quarterback this year. You know, we're going to have a competition with Geno and Drew Locke, which is effectively whoever wins loses. You know, and we're going to, the quarterback we're getting is next year. And, and even then, remember, they were like pushing this up as like, this is neck and neck. This is an even race. It's, it's you know, there's no difference. Could be, could be Geno, could be Drew Locke. And then basically, you know, Drew Locke catches COVID. Geno ends up playing well in the preseason game. It's all right, Geno wins the, the job. And now the idea that it was like a, an even competition seems absurd. But that's what needed to happen for Geno to get this opportunity to prove that he was a different guy. For the Daniel Jones of the world or the Justin Fields in the world, like not only do they need to, to get the backup job to develop somewhere for years, they then need to get lucky as hell that something happens ahead of them that they get thrust into the starting gig again to show that that's been the case. That's where it gets tricky. Yeah, did, did Seattle just see that? Did they actually see this all in practice with no. the Geno stuff? Maybe they did. If they did, they never would have made anything out of the Drew Locke competition. They would probably wouldn't have even traded for Drew Locke. Like, it wouldn't have been a thing. They had no idea this was going to happen. Uh, you want to get to some uh, trade candidates here? Uh, yeah, sure. Talk through a little bit. Doug Kide over at uh, PFF.com. He's got some... Cousin Doug. Cousin Doug, of course, has some potential trade candidates. But first, quick reminder, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, Doug's got an article at PFF.com. Some of the rumored names to potentially be trade candidates, some that are new, some that are wide open there, but... Um, did you know? I, so I, of course, jokingly suggested, um, jokingly suggested Melvin Gordon for Cam Akers during the game the other night, mm. and um, had a lot of people say, "Yeah, that." I mean, Melvin Gordon's been benched, and Cam Akers is on his way out with the Rams, and a lot of people said, "Yes, yeah, whatever." And uh, I was one of Melvin Gordon's likes on Tuesday uh. morning. He went through liking. You know, he did the whole every tweet that mentioned him. <laughs> He went through and liked my tweet, among others, oh. that suggested, you know, he's getting screwed and needs to play. And I felt bad for him. They were putting his, uh, they put a clown emoji on his face and everything on the big screen. Who? The Chargers. Harsh. Yeah. Me. Like, I've had, um, it was the, it was You've the, experienced that before yourself. The running back in his draft NFL class. running backs. Yeah. I I've, think. I've had the clown face added to me. Melvin Gordon, I think, has been unfairly criticized for the majority of his career he's been a better player than people have ever given him credit for and it seems like almost like half his career has been spent people complaining that he's playing why is this guy playing why is we not giving playing time to the other dude like he's good he is a good running back okay he's had fumbling issues this season but he is a good running back that doesn't like it's not there are cases where there are running backs who are being dramatically outplayed by the guys behind them. And you're like, why is this dude still getting these snaps, right? That's never been the case for Melvin Gordon. And yet people act like it is all the time. And then you have this situation where apparently his own coach just didn't notice that he wasn't playing. Like the whole thing, I think, has been unfair to Melvin Gordon. Um, So yeah, look, if if Denver isn't going to use him, why not chip him out? Straight up for Cam Akers to the Rams? Gordon running for the Rams and Akers to the Broncos? Uh, I mean, why not? Broncos? The Cam Akers thing is kind of weird. Like, I, Something happened off the field. 
obviously. Well, but did it? Or did they just, is this how you try and like bottle it up and not let the, not air your dirty laundry in public? You know, you just say, we're dealing with some things, you know? I mean, that already sounds like dirty laundry. I know, but that's not to say that's not how they've decided is the best way of trying to bottle it up and keep a lid on it. Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, What else you got here? I was dug going through here for trade candidates or moves. So I forget, somebody tweeted recently that Green Bay will make a move for a wide receiver. Like, not should, will try, like, absolutely nail it on. They're going to trade for somebody. And Green okay. Bay? Yeah. yeah. And obviously, like, o- Odell Beckham is the, the kind of available free agent candidate that's always being talked about. But if you're talking about trades, like, the obvious one is calling up Carolina and being like, hey, DJ Moore. Yeah. How much? You know? Um, and again, I'm, I'm not 100% sold yet that the Panthers are in the midst of a fire sale until they figure out how the next few weeks is going to go. Yeah. But if like that, that's absolutely a move that the Packers should try and make if they can. It's interesting for Carolina too, because they're not, I don't think they're in like a full teardown mode yeah. of that roster. Right. But um, as receivers are becoming a little bit easier to find around the NFL, not a bad move to maybe think about trading a DJ more to a desperate team. Like we're talking a desperate Packers team that might need to save their season, whether it's, OBJ in free agency or a trade. And I'd also, like, I'd be thinking about that from a Packers perspective. Like, all right, um, who knows what the the trade would cost, but I would be willing to offer one of the rookie receivers that I have as part of that trade. Like, hey, give me DJ Moore, we'll send you something, and one of these guys is part of the make weight, you know, Romeo Dobbs or Christian Watson. Well, not Dobbs. I mean, Dobbs is... He's not Devontae Adams yet, but he's shown enough that he's still going to be good. Like, Dobbs is going to sure, be good. but you drafted both these guys for a reason. You they know? traded up to get Watson at 34 overall. Yeah. Super fast. Right now, he's just their jet sweep guy. But, man, that's a, that's a tough one to sell. Sure, but, but it would dramatically, obviously, reduce the costs, uh, the acquisition sure. costs in terms of draft picks. Um, to get DJ Moore. And the whole point about uh, getting a DJ Moore is paying for the certainty of what he is at today's NFL, which has been pretty quarterback-proof, by the way. Like, DJ Moore's production relative to the guys throwing him the ball has been pretty damn impressive. Yeah. So connecting him up with Aaron Rodgers is potentially season-saving for the Packers. And if it has to cost you one of the two guys that are young and you like and the potential is there, but right now are not doing it for you, so be it. The uh, New England Patriots potentially trading Kendrick Bourne, guy that's you know just hasn't just just fallen down the depth chart really in that area, but um, on that team. But last year played pretty well, you know showed a lot of flashes with the 49ers. That feels like more of a Packers type of move. They would trade for a Kendrick Bourne, and he's just another Alan Lazard-ish type of receiver as far as skill level goes, different style. That feels more likely, but it does sound like Green Bay they have to do something though. Yeah. But uh, Bourne was mentioned in Doug's article, too. One of my favorite players in the NFL to maybe pick up, too, would be Bryce Hall, the cornerback from the New York Jets. The Jets have two top 10 uh, corners as far as uh, wins above replacement goes right now. Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, both playing really well. Bryce Hall's been the guy that's kind of pushed out there with those two offseason additions through the draft and free agency. But Hall's played some pretty good football throughout his career. Yeah, I would absolutely be interested in kicking the tires on Bryce Hall uh, if I was a team and needed a cornerback help. Another one is William Jackson, who we talked about in the NFL Daily. Um, I would always chase the 2017 version of William Jackson if I was 
an NFL defense. Like we know cornerback play coverage generally is volatile, it's fluky, it sort of goes comes and goes. He's shown a ceiling and a level of play that very few corners in the NFL have ever approached. Now, it is fair to say that his best attribute is man coverage and the league is moving more and more away from man coverage. So these are things that are, you know, he's kind of suffering, I think, from a similar issue that Russell Wilson is suffering from, which is the league is changing and it's going away from the thing that you're great at. I mean, this is a J.C. Jackson problem potentially as well. Right. Um, That being said, if the like if the deal is cheap enough and I have if my corners stink, I'm all for taking a look at that. All right. So go check out Doug's article, PFF.com, Rumor Roundup and Trade Candidates. Um, also on the PFF app, go check out the app, check out Sam's work, Doug's work, and all of our great writers. Search PFF in the app store, all of our betting, fantasy content there. You can find all the best bets for a given week. PFF app is live right now in the app store. All right, you ready to get into a little explain the grade, Sam? Mm. It's another, uh, it's a tense one. It is. Again, this week. Now. I we, we an intro? I believe we've been working on one, but I have yet to get an answer from Tyler as to whether it exists or not for this show. I'm so um, there you go. Allow me a low grade for that, but uh, I'll keep it rolling. We talked right over it, but there, there it is. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. So I'm explain the grade. But we'll do better with that going forward. Yeah, we've got two uh, two particular players for explain the grade. One of them is very talked about. Um, one of them is positive. One of them is negative. Let's start with the positive. Because, you know, we're optimism. We're oh, opti- I thought you, optimistic here. <clears throat> oh, I, th- I figured we'd end with the positive. No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, start with the positive. Let's, let's Do you have a written statement prepared <laughs> for the uh, second part here? I, we don't need written statement. I do this on, you know, I, it's, all about the, it's all from the heart, Steve. It's from the heart. Um, Brandon Graham, a PFF grading poster child through his entire career. Yeah, this right? could be a career A guy award. that's never, except for that one year you won lunch got the sack totals that he deserves for his pressure but has always made an impact and you know for the people that that talk about why is sacks are important pressures are nothing they're almost plays well that's not entirely true pressure in itself is important for pass rushers pressure generally reduces a quarterback's passer rating by about 30 35 points depending on the year like that's the kind of impact it has so if you get pressure a lot you are making a material impact on the play all the time. And okay, sometimes they can make plays anyway and a touchdown off the back of it, sure. But over the long season, it's going to end up being a positive in your favor. So, Brandon Graham in this game, only three pressures, but his PFF grade was high. I forget what the number is entirely. The reason, well, for a start, he only had 18 rushes, right? So we're at a pretty low number. Already three pressures and 18 pass rushes is pretty good. He had a fourth pressure, that was nullified by a coverage penalty, so nothing to do with the pass rush, right? We grade those. He's going to get credit for four pressures. doesn't even show up in our stat sheet because we just keep the negated plays out of that. Exactly. So he's going to get credit for that fourth rush uh, on top of that. All of his rushes were pretty clean wins. He also had three more pass rushing wins that that are BD plays, that are uh, pass rushing wins that don't get a chance to become pressure because the ball's out. So now we're up to seven pass rush wins. That's a win rate of like 40%, which is massive. Um, and all of those, the, the rushes, the wins themselves have been clean plays. He's the guy that got the hit that created the interception off a play that would have been a deep bomb to CeeDee Lamb, probably a touchdown. It's not a touchdown, it's an interception because of Brandon Graham's hit, the win that he had on that play. So the classic example of we're giving him credit for those wins that don't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. 
There you go, Brandon Graham. How many sacks? Uh, in that game, zero, right? Zero. Still very effective. Good player. Yeah. Brandon Graham's career right there. In a nutshell. That, that game, honestly, was Brandon Graham's career in a nutshell. The perfect example of how a guy can get a good grade, have a massive impact in the game as a pass rusher, but not get any sacks. All right, Brandon Graham. Nailed it. Ready for the next one? Yep. Okay, Quinnen Williams. The most requested Explain the Grade we have had since we started our Explain the Grade segment. Explain yourself. Well, let's start with an email that gave us an example of what we're talking about here. Courtney Harris emailed uh, a long thing, but the, the, the important uh, sentence here. I understand that I'm not watching the All-22 game film of every snap, but Quinnen's play on Sunday was, from my perspective, the reincarnation of Warren Sapp in terms of game wreckage play from a defensive tackle. And yet he ends up with an overall grade from us of like 65 and all of Jets fans, all of Jets, what's the equivalent of Jets Mafia, or, you know, Bill's Mafia. Um, Jets Mafia. Okay, Jets Mafia, all of them being like, hey, explain yourselves. This is ridiculous. Uh, so we went, we, you know, we went through and checked it out. We're wrong. We got it wrong. Yeah, we just, it, we got it wrong. It's <laughs> simple as that. We went through after all of the criticism and we, we went through and, and re- um, checked his grade essentially play by play and we've moved it up to what is it now 80 point something 81 81 81.4 and it is the highest grade on the Jets defense for Sunday now one important part whether it's the 65 grade or the 80 grade one of his best plays in that game was a blocked punt right right which is a one of the highest grades we're going to give out for any play of the week but it's not going to show up in his defense grade right and we don't have a sort of an overall all facets grade that doesn't exist anywhere right. so there's essentially like a so it's an it's an 81 defense grade plus by the way he blocked a punt where he'll have like a 94 special team exactly. grade for the game that like baked that into your analysis so that that that's the kind of play everyone remembers that play from the game you know huge play in the game massive impact and absolutely got credit for that but that's never going to show up in his defense grade which is it's just one of those mental things that you're going to miss on but yeah we we got this one wrong this was a badly reviewed grade by our standards and when we went through and checked it we found a few plays that we moved bumped him up to where he should have been given his impact on the game which was seven pressures two sacks four stops the the block punt and you know the we can just hold our hands up and say we got this one wrong and when we get the kind of blowback that we had on that grade we always go back and check those things most of the time we don't change much if anything you know, there's a, a small play here or there that's debatable, and we end up siding the other way. Most of the time, we don't change them, but we did on this one. It changed significantly, and all we can do is go back and try and improve the process again and, you know, in- introduce more checks and try and figure out a way we can stop it happening again. Yeah, and, you know, one of those plays that we were looking at, too, I think initially um, he he got credit for a pressure. He's bull rushing the left guard into Aaron Rodgers. Kind of looked like Rodgers just, the ball just slipped out of his hand. Yeah. Uh, I think Quinnen got credit for a sack by the NFL there. We kind of reviewed it. I think we ended up, ended up giving him the sack because of the bull rush into, it was more, it was contact with Rodgers that led to the ball coming out of his hand. Um, even that said, like the seven pressures are a little, they're, they're, most of them were very good. A couple of them were clean up where he's probably not getting a high grade. So it was actually his run defense that carried his grade. And I know all of his big plays also happened third down key stops third and five making a huge tackle in the run game so yeah Quinnen Williams was disruptive run game and pass game 
and he also blocked a field goal. Right. And look, there's a couple of plays in there that are, you know, slightly, I think, less impressive than maybe they looked initially. So his sack on Aaron Rodgers, I think a third and seven play where it looks like he absolutely monsters a double team, is in the backfield, makes a great tackle on Aaron Rodgers. And you're like, wow, that's that's like the highest grade you can get on a play. That's off the charts. Um, but the right guard just goes AWOL in the play. doesn't even like it's supposed to be a, a kind of double team, essentially the double team that looks like he's splitting but the right guard's not on the same page. And the center essentially ends up having to solo that, and he just runs through that gap and makes the play. Now, it's still a very good play, but it, it does, it's not quite as good as maybe it looks before you realize that the right guard really didn't do his job at all on that play, right. didn't even try to do his job on that play, and Quinnen's is slightly good. So there's a couple of plays in there that maybe even on review are slightly less than you would think, and that's why he's high 80s, plus whatever you're giving him for the, the blocked punt and not, you know, 95, right? It's not like the Warren Sapp, the reincarnation of Warren Sapp. But I don't want to focus on that part of stuff because the important thing is here is Jets fans were right. We got we it wrong. wrong on this. We got it wrong. We fixed it. And now we're going to try and make sure we shore up the system so that that can't happen again because it can't, right? We need to be better than that. And yeah. We, we usually are. We, we take this stuff seriously despite what, let me just say this too. Despite what the the nonsense that Travis Kelsey said, absolute spewing nonsense a few weeks back. I went there hmm. about the agents and people paying for their grades. That's a ridiculous accusation. Yeah. So despite ri- ridiculous stuff that people say out there, we take this very seriously. We take getting it as right as possible yep. very seriously, which is why we have multiple review process uh, processes and mm-hmm. when we do get blowback hey this this did look different from the eye test like you said we will go back That's and review and see if we did miss something yeah. because yeah we do have humans doing this and we could miss something nobody likes being wrong but we are perfectly happy to hold our hands up and say oh yeah like we got this wrong when it when it's the case but that's an important point that when we get a huge volume of blowback which happens weekly right that's why we're doing this segment explain yeah. the grade we get it weekly where a guy has a great game, doesn't get a good grade. It's like, what the hell? You guys are idiots. This is ridiculous. And we will do this segment where we explain why it's different. And every time we get a giant amount of blowback, we'll check those plays again because some it's possible that we could get it wrong, you know, the way yep. that the processes work, even with all the checks we have. And another one this week was Bill's fans and Matt Milano. Matt Milano had a grade in the 40s, I think, despite being highlighted consistently on the broadcast is imp- a big part of that defense because of the, the way the Bills are using him to spy Mahomes and cause problems. And it's like, well, why is Milano's grade bad? That was well, ridiculous. Well, let's talk Milano. Let's do it. So we went and we did exactly the same thing. We looked through all Matt Milano's grades. It's like, okay, well, for a start, he was getting lit up in coverage. Like he was targeted six times, gave up six catches or 70-something yards, four of which were first downs. Early in the game, they were kind of picking on him in coverage. Yep. Um, he had three missed tackles in there as well. And the plays that he was being that he was making as a quarterback spy, A, they, they were good, but it's this kind of thing that was getting highlighted on the broadcast. So it's like, oh, wow, Matt Milano is having an amazing game. Like you're not highlighting the ones where he's getting picked on in coverage. It's just that's just part of the play, you know? It's like, ah, oh, good, good play by the Bills. Good cat, you know, good first down, let's move on. It's, but it's, it's, it's the balance of all those things. You need to count it all up to accurately factor what he was in the game. And it goes, with Milano's thing, it goes back to the linebacker issue, I think, as well, too. Because you just don't, fans aren't really 
focusing on the negatives from a linebacker. They they don't see him kind of like flailing. Like first play of the game, I think he flailed in the flat yeah. um, to miss a tackle, right? It, it just doesn't register the same way as the positives do right. for a linebacker. And that's the other thing, too. If a guy has a 42 grade or whatever, it doesn't mean for 50 to 60 plays he was out of position and was terrible. Like there right. are good plays of in course. there as well. Yeah. It's just I think you tended to ignore, yeah, the, fir- the four first downs. A couple of them go behind him, right, in his coverage, where it's just like, oh, look at that. Travis Kelsey's open for a 15-yarder. That's going to happen all the time. Well, he may have been the guy, you know, responsible for that particular one. So Milano is a much easier one to explain because we went through all those grades, and it's like, yeah, he got blocked in the run game a couple times. He got beaten in coverage. His good grade came as an add-on pass rusher, as you mentioned, in that spiral where he did make some big plays against Mahomes. And, and which I would also say is a relatively easy responsibility, you know, as a linebacker. We talk all the time about how one of the reasons that job is so difficult in today's NFL is because they're being asked to do three or four different things on any given play, you know? And it's it's they're getting stretched left and right, they're getting stretched horizontally, they're getting stretched vertically, and they're being put in a catch-22 impossible situation every play. When your job is like QB spy, all that's gone. All, you're like, okay, just hang around this in this area, and then as soon as the guy moves, go. Go get him. Yeah. You have no coverage responsibility. Um, the issue is you're probably you know, in space against an athletic quarterback sure. every and, now and again. Right. But that honestly doesn't happen often. Milano's good plays were Mahomes scrambling, compromise situation. He closes quick. He's an yeah. athletic player, and he makes a good could hit on him but they like the chiefs had uh hang on throw off the uh the no plays the plays that actually counted the chiefs had 20 first downs in that entire game four of them came into milano's coverage you know like that's that's a pretty significant part of the bad that's happening and that's what the grade is capturing so anyway my point being when we get the blowback we go and check these things out and most of the time it's not going to change things because it's these types of plays and we're like yeah we're happy to defend that but the Quinn and Williams one was one where we went through it and we went, no, you, we got it wrong. You guys are right. We're wrong. We've changed it. We've updated it. Mia culpa. Can we move on? Can, Can we, we get, get better? Now we need, Tyler, we need a new intro that says, explain the Jets grades. Yeah. That's where we are. Every week, it'll be Devin White and then the Jets player. The Devin White and the Jets players. That we've on by mistake. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Didn't even need a re- written statement. Well said, Sam. You were wrong. I was wrong. Oh, yeah, it's you. Oh. You take blame. So there we go. We got anything else here today? You're perfectly prepared to distance yourself from this, but you'll, but legally, oh, yeah, I'm like tied up in legal problems here. I I could use, you know, some separation from this. Perfect. Get the choke again. You're just dying here? (laughs) Yeah. All right. Might be time to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is our Wednesday show. Love it. Send in your emails. We do love reading those. Um, send in your explain the grade questions. Um, I also want to try to skew positive on those. I thought the Brandon Graham one was a good way to, you know, explain, hey, this guy had an impact, even though the stat sheet didn't necessarily have well, ideally, explain the grade isn't always us defending ourselves necessarily right. from bad uh, from poor grades. And ideally next week we won't be wrong. You know, that, yeah. would, that would be a great change the explain the grades we promise to do what we can to be better <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean look we, continuous improvement which has been we've said this since we started right the system is not perfect it'll never be perfect we will chase perfection but we want to get this thing better every opportunity we can and the positive side on this is this is a chance for us to review the 
the processes as they currently stand and figure out where we can make tighten it up and make sure that doesn't happen again. Yeah, and an imperfect process is more glaring in smaller sample sizes, a.k.a. Sure. a game. So anyway, thanks to everybody for being a part of that, for asking us to explain the grade and uh, keeping us accountable. Um, we will be back, as always, tomorrow. We at 1230 tomorrow? Is that when we start? 1230 live on YouTube, previewing all of the Week 7 NFL action. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow. All right, we are pleased to be joined by Nick Underhill of New Orleans Football. That's neworleans.football.com. Covers the Saints. Uh, former, you've been on the Patriots beat. You've been all over the place, right, Nick? But uh, welcome. Joy, uh, welcome to the to PFF NFL podcast. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, before we get started, tell everybody where they can go get all of your Saints-related content. Yeah, everything's on New Orleans Football and Twitter, Nick underscore Underhill. Um, we got podcast youtube we're, we're everywhere you type in the name you'll find us somewhere instagram uh it's it's uh new orleans stop football all right so we've we've been having our guests on here on wednesdays to preview that thursday night football game we have the saints and the cardinals uh high level what has this season been like for the saints some ups and downs some injuries quarterback uh issues and no sean payton like what what's what's the high level saint season looking like so far it's been it's been disappointing and look i don't I don't really think it's a massive talent issue like i think they should have won last week and then they couldn't get a first down with a little more than three minutes left couldn't tackle tackling's been a recurring issue for this team fumbles have been a recurring issue for this team untimely penalties have been a recurring issue for this team clock management in week one should have cost them that game so i just think that some of the details that they thought were going to be in place and and be solid for them in this transition, staying with the familiar coaching staff and, and the familiar coordinators and kind of keeping everything in place, I think that there was kind of maybe a little bit of a, of a assumption that, that things were going to be all good, and it's those details that have been killing them so far. So, I mean, injuries have been a big issue, but I, I can't go there in last week's game. Like, yeah, they didn't have Mike Thomas, Jarvis Landry, Marshawn Lattimore, and those guys matter a lot. But if you're winning for 57 minutes, 56 and a half minutes, you should be able to close out that game, and, and they couldn't. And I just think that they got to tighten up some of that stuff. They they didn't fumble last week. The penalties were better, but the tackling's still an issue. So if they can figure that out, then they can start figuring out why their safeties aren't playing the way they want them to play and, and why their interior defensive line hasn't been as good and, and some of these other things. But until the big the big issues and the finer details, none of that stuff even really matters right now. The Saints were one of those teams that had incredible stability for such a long time with Drew Brees and Sean Payton. How has it been different this year with no Sean Payton there for the first time in years? I mean, just on a you know macro feel element, like it feels it feels different. I mean, it feels looser. Like just little things, <laughs> like how the media interacts with the team. Like we're allowed to walk through hallways that are shorter to get to places now where it used to be you had to like walk all the way around outside the building and go through like a back door to get into the locker room and stuff like that. So like some of that stuff is, isn't the same, but like feel wise in the locker room, I think it's a little bit different. I mean, players have talked about how just with the, the fumbling, like shoot, it was on Kay Adams podcast, uh, like a week ago, Mark Ingram and Sean Payton were on there. And, and Mark says, Hey, I know what would have happened if we fumbled when you were the coach. And, you know, they kind of joked about it. But I do think that maybe DA has taken more of a the players are going to be responsible and do what they got to do approach. Whereas with Sean, it was it was just pressure, 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 pressure. And I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way. But I do think that maybe 
a little bit early on this year. Some of that pressure got let out of the building. People re relaxed a little bit and they've been trying to apply it back on enough and, and have the right feel to where, all right, there's accountability, but we aren't going to yell at people for not having 36 markers in a bucket or, you know, some of the, the stuff that they used to get mad about. Um, so it is, it is different. Um, you know, overall practice, um, how they, how they operate looks the same, feels the same. And, you know, I'll be honest, I didn't really, outside of, of maybe how the guys were used in training camp, the starters didn't really practice as much. The veteran guys didn't practice as much during training camp, but it looked the same. It felt the same. It really took until like into the season to really kind of start feeling the significant differences just in that accountability and, and pressure standpoint. You mentioned the tackling and, you know, defensively, I used to always describe the Saints as they their defense had championship level ability, didn't always show it every single week, but there were some games where it's like, man, they just shut down some offenses. And overall, they made life difficult for opposing quarterbacks. And I think you haven't seen that so much this year at times, certainly saw that at times, but uh, down the stretch in certain games, the Vikings game, some penalties, sure. Last week against the Bengals, what what is the issue with the defense, and in particular that defensive line? I think they got pressure last week against the Bengals, but it hasn't really been there for the majority of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think starting with the interior defensive line, David Onyemata really hasn't really been the same player the last couple of years. I think he's he's still good, like he's still a good player. But there was a time, probably two three years ago, where where it looked like. I think he had a six and a half sack season, had a ton of pressures that year, and it looked like he was going to ascend into being, you know, maybe a, a Grady Jarrett level type of player. And it's just went the other way since then. He got suspended and it just hasn't been the same since then. And they, they don't really have that interior guy. Malcolm Roach, he's, you know, a, a undrafted player they they acquired. He's solid, like he's fine, but there's nobody inside making that, that real push. And, you know, Davenport's been knocking on the door, but he hasn't been getting home. So, I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, without, blitzing the four-man front just really hasn't quite been as effective as usual you know the big issue with the team it is it is tackling like uh jamar chase two missed tackles on that play they score there was one against minnesota and it would have been a, a tough play to make but they run a screen and, and they miss a couple tackles on that play tyron matthew kind of had a bad angle at it due to how it was blocked but you know he's he's in the the realm and when you're kind of having multiple plays you start looking at some stuff that's on the you know a coin toss of criticism you maybe side towards criticizing a little bit. Uh, explosive plays too, like they're just giving those up left and right, and that isn't really something they've done. Uh, early 2020, when they're transitioning to Malcolm Jenkins, they had a few. The Green Bay game stands out as one where they had all kinds of busted coverages, but it, it's it's happening in like a way that's just I don't know. It just it just feels different, and I think not having Marcus Williams is something that that's been a significant factor for this team. Marcus May missing some time has been a big deal, and you know just being truthful here like I don't think Tyron Matthew is has come in and, and played the way they expected him to now I think he could possibly turn it around but it's been uh you know a little bit underwhelming and they have one interception the whole season I think last year they had 18 so I mean it's just they aren't making plays they aren't they just aren't as dynamic as, as they were uh before which I think is a little bit surprising because I thought the thought process for them and it seemed like a deliberate decision to move away from Marcus Williams and, and go to Tyron Matthew and Marcus May at least May for sure. And they had early interest in Matthew and his market had to sort out. But I think they wanted that interchangeability to be more dynamic, to not be, you know, as static because Marcus Williams, sometimes he'd move forward and played in the box, but he was a, a true free safety. And I think they wanted the disguise a little bit more 
And it just it just hasn't produced any results to this point. We've talked about this on the podcast a bit between the two of us. I'm curious about your take from uh, much closer to the Saints. What is Taysom Hill? Because we've we've been <laughs> he's Steve Young 2.0. He's a quarterback. He's a tight end. I, I don't, I'm not sure he's any of those things. Well, what is your take about what exactly Taysom Hill is at this point? He's a guy that should be playing more than 15 snaps a game than he did last week. I, I think he's one of their most dynamic playmakers, and they just they got to find a way to to get him the ball. And and you know I think when a guy's averaging I don't know what he had last week eight yards per carry or something like that, he, he's got to get more touches. And I think that that was kind of a way that that they could have uh, maybe been a little bit more dynamic in how they attack that game down the stretch. But look, I mean, I know I know it's like a, a thing on Twitter. He's a meme, basically. But just get him the ball. Like, I, I don't understand the, the 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 issue the Saints are kind of having with getting him involved. It's, it's really no different than a handoff. Like, if Andy Dalton's handing off to Alvin Kamara or you're direct snapping to Taysom Hill, it's still just a running play. And everybody knows he's going to run the ball. Nobody stops it. I think getting him out of that quarterback track was obviously the right thing to do. They tried and tried and tried. And, you know, I think if we're being honest about it, they probably got him closer to being I, I don't know a passable quarterback than anybody thought they were gonna when you look at how he played at BYU I know I wasn't someone that was like a huge believer in in the ability of, of him getting there but he was okay but yeah look I think they got to find a way to play him especially when you don't have a lot of firepower on offense a quarterback I think you got to be creative and he's a guy that they should be more creative with than they have been I thought it was a pretty good balance against Seattle. Maybe that's at the at the higher end, but I thought they got too far away from it this week. Is there any reason they can't just say, "All right, you're a running back now, and you're going to be the power back"? You know, it, it feels like it, they get too caught up in the idea of, well, you can't have that many direct handoff runs from a quarterback. It's it's kind of crazy. It's too gimmicky. It's you know, you get lost in the sauce there. Whereas really, if you just said the reality of this thing, which is he's our power running game, line him up a tailback, like you can do as many times as you want in that scenario. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that I've really not understood. I mean, he, he's one of their best players. Just give, give one of your best players the ball. Like, I, you know, he, he's not in the quarterback room anymore. He was, I think, the last couple of weeks just because I had injuries and if something happened. But, like, he, he practices with the tight ends. I agree with you. I, I feel like he should be with the running backs. I think that that's where he kind of belongs. That That's where he has his most value. I don't even know if they've thrown him a pass this year, maybe one. So, I mean, that's not even even something they're they're really doing. He is a good blocker. So I understand kind of getting him in some of those situations as well. But I would kind of focus it more on, okay, you're going to be a running back. Let's figure some of this stuff out. And how are all the different multitude of ways that we can use you? Yeah, and I don't know how you felt at the time, but when they were bringing Taysom in in the red zone when Drew Brees was still on the team, it felt like, yeah, Drew Brees doesn't throw the ball down the field as well as he used to, but man, like it's still Drew Brees. Like I want that guy making right. my red zone decisions. It felt like it was forced. When you have a Jameis or an Andy Dalton at quarterback, it feels like, yeah, absolutely, we're going to give 10 to 15 snaps to Taysom Hill, whether it is as a pure runner or gimmicky stuff or whatever it is. So it, it does feel like the door should be open for, for more Taysom Hill, not that it's all going to look like the Seattle game necessarily. Right. Um, I, I want to ask about the rookies too, the, the first rounders in particular. Chris Olave, of course, Trevor Penning's been hurt. Looks like he's on his, uh, on his way potentially to come back. What have you seen from Olave when he's been healthy and he should be back Thursday, right? And, um, and Trevor Penning back in the preseason. Yeah, he'll, he'll play. Um, I think Olave's been incredible. I think he's probably even been a little bit better that, than I expected. I had high expectations. Like, he's done a lot better on contested catches than I, I thought he was going to do. Um, man, he got knocked out on one the last time he played and, and scored a touchdown. And there's been a few others. So 
he's been really good the route running is incredible he's just kind of always open he's he's easy to read and just the way he moves and and just puts himself in good positions to make plays is, is been something that stands out broken plays he knows how to scramble and make himself friendly to the quarterback he just feels mature in in how he approaches the game and, and it stood out early and i think he's just going to keep getting better and better for them uh penning's in a walking boot right now that's coming off next week He's going to start testing it out. So I think that November timeline that was reported when he got hurt is probably something that's realistic. Now, whether he plays quickly or not, I think that's a major question. Um, he was getting better during camp. I, I thought every time we saw him play, he he improved. Uh, you, you'd see him do something wrong and then quickly it'd get fixed. So the growth w was happening rapidly, but taking him off the field, I, I don't know how that's going to affect him. And James Hurst has been okay there. I don't think they're you know thriving or necessarily dying with him at that position even though he he did give up the uh last pressure to trey hendrickson that kind of cost him the, the the uh game last week but um yeah I, I don't think they're gonna force it too early with him but he he is someone that i think in time should be good i mean the progress was good and that was kind of the thing with him is just how far he had to go so if he can keep doing that long term it, it's it's someone that's probably going to be a good starter for it for them the problem is is with both these guys you could say they traded five picks for Olave, or you could look at the situation and say, well, they could have traded their other first-round pick and not taken Penning. If they don't win enough games, one of these guys is going to kind of – it's just going to – it's going to be a tough draft class for them to uh, reconcile, given that they gave away next year's first-round pick, and they might not have a quarterback, and they might be picking pretty high if they don't turn things around. Um, Rob Sheet had a tweet today that started, it seems the entire Saints team is banged <laughs> up. Uh, how do you see that affecting Thursday night? against the Cardinals it's gonna be uh Kevin White on the field some you know it, that's yes. that's how it affects it I mean that's <laughs> that's just kind of where they're at Marquez Callaway um you know it it's a tough offense last year it was the same thing at least they're adding back Olave who I think is their wide receiver one right now just based on production I mean I don't even think that's a controversial statement but yeah it's something they're gonna have to try to figure out and how to overcome I think it's gonna be another really really run heavy approach I'm going to go back to what we were just saying about Taysom. It feels like a game where he should get a lot of touches Thursday night, roll him out there. There's not a whole lot of scheming and game planning. Let him, you know, everybody knows he's going to run the ball, see if somebody can stop it. And until they do, uh, keep doing it. That's how I would approach the game. And yeah, I mean, I, I just think they got to try to find a way to get over it because if they lose this game, I mean, realistically, they aren't going to have a lot more games after this that matter. Like their season's on the brink. This one goes sideways. It's uh very quickly, the season's going going in a spiral. What do you make of Arizona so far from afar? You've got Kyler, his contract, Call of Duty discussion, all sorts of fun there. <laughs> but an offense, they get DeAndre Hopkins back, uh, but an offense that just has not been explosive whatsoever. So uh, what do you know about Arizona and how they're going to match up with the Saints here on Thursday? Yeah, I haven't seen a ton of them. I would usually spend like today watching the other team, and we're on our way out to practice. So um, I'm not super familiar with what they're doing, but look, I think the Saints defense right now is is a team that if you're having trouble on offense, it's probably a, a game where you're looking at it and thinking that you can create some advantages. I mean, Marshawn Lattimore's going to be out. I'm guessing right now, before we see the last practice of the week, I, I think it's probably going to be Paulson Adebo who has, man, I, I was just looking on your guys' website, I think it was like a 152 passer rating against right now. Yeah. Um, and Alante Taylor, who's played like six snaps, is probably going to be the other outside cornerback. We don't know a lot about him. He looked good in camp, didn't play in the preseason because he had a hip pointer, and then he got an MCL sprain uh, during the season. So this will probably be his first NFL action if they actually uh, roll forward with him at that position. 
They haven't been great defending the slot the whole season since uh, trading C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Last week it was Chris Harris, and uh, the Broncos went 9-for-9 nine nine against him, uh, throwing at him in the slot. So they've just had a lot of a lot of issues covering, and this is a team that, that has a lot of weapons. And if you're looking for you know, a, a matchup to potentially get right, it's, you know, there, there's there's a lot of opportunity here, I think. Um, you know, I, I do think the Saints can clamp it down. I think is a lot better than, than he's played, but yeah. the secondary has really kind of uh, underachieved at this point, and not having Lattimore, I think, is a huge issue, especially in a Thursday night game where, you know, that would be the one thing you could do. Hey, I'm going to drop him on somebody, and that guy's going to get a race, and then we can worry about everybody else, and, and they don't have that advantage this week. Well, Arizona was supposed to have they were supposed to have a get right game last week against Seattle and they struggled offensively. So this could be a get right game for the Saints defense or for the Saints offense as well. The Cardinals last in PFF coverage grade right now as a team, so the Saints might have some pass game opportunities here. So you want to get to the pick, Sam? Yeah, so we've been asking our uh, our guests previewing the Thursday night game to just give us where their where their picks going. Right now, the Cardinals are two and a half point favorites. That sort of tells you, I think, how banged up the Saints are going into this game because neither of these teams looks incredible right now. Um, what kind of score do you think this game is going to be? Who's going to end up winning? If the Saints can score like 23 points, I think they should find a way to win. Uh, I would have said that last week, too. The, the crazy thing with them right now is I think they're like tied with the Chiefs in yards per game, which I, I don't know how much that means. They've been in a lot of fourth quarter hurry-up situations, a lot of garbage yards and that. But they're they're not scoring a lot of points. Uh, their red zone offense has been kind of bad, one for five last week. I think they're going to figure out a couple of those things. I think they're going to find a way to move the ball. I think they should be able to run. I'm going to reluctantly pick the Saints in like a 23 to. 20 game like i i don't know like they, they've stopped shooting themselves in the foot enough that i think that maybe they can come overcome some of their internal issues and you know it's a, it's a desperation game for them too so i think that matters a lot as well and, and last week it kind of had the same feel they came out they played hard so i don't think they're they're in a point yet where they're they're kind of you know feeling weird about where they're at in the locker room sliding like i think they're still in a decent place so i think they're going to find a way to win this one Sam, how about you? We got Arizona favored by two and a half here. I I like the Cardinals. I would be a lot more worried about it if Marshawn Lattimore was fully healthy and you could potentially put him on New Hopkins in his first game back, because that's exactly the kind of receiver that Lattimore does really well against. But without him, I think I think the Cardinals end up getting this done. I know Nick picked the Saints here, but like everything else that we talked about here <laughs> has me leaning Cardinals, be- yeah. in part because of the injuries, right? And because I do think what's missing for the Cardinals is is New Hopkins, is is some sort of big playability on the outside. But, um, man, I'm torn here. I'm going to go – I, th- I think I'm going full opposites on everything this week, though, since I'm having such a bad year. Yeah, yeah. So I'm taking the Saints. Okay. I would have taken the Cardinals. I'm taking the Saints to cover the two and a half. Um New Orleans.football. That's where everybody can get all their good stuff. If you're a Saints fan, you have to go to New Orleans.football. Tell them all about it, Nick. Yeah, it's a lot of analysis. Um, you know, we, we get into the details. We just hired Mike Triplett from ESPN. So uh, if you oh, like wow. the Saints, we, we like to think that we got a nice little uh, package of analysis and everything. And um, you can sign up nine bucks a month and get everything that uh, we're doing on the team. If you're a Saints fan, go check it out right now. They're they're wooing people from ESPN, New Orleans mm. football. <laughs> uh, thanks, Nick. Really appreciate it, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, appreciate you guys. Thanks.